turn with me over to the book of First Thessalonians. And as you turn there, let me just say something important. I don't know when the last time I told you all was, but let me tell you again, I love you. I love every one of you. And I am, I am grateful to be your pastor. I am grateful to be your pastor. It's a privilege and a blessing to be your friend and your pastor. And I am really glad that God has put me here in this place. And it is Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the day that we remember and celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It's the day when Jesus offered Himself as King to everyone who would receive Him as such. And the majority of people, if you remember, in His own day, uh, did not receive that offer. They refused Him. But there are those, just as there were those who bowed their knees before Him, and so we are the people who know there's two sides to Palm Sunday. There are those who rejected the humble king, and on the other side, there are those who are his disciples who shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. And it seems appropriate to me, as we remember these things, also remember that because Jesus is the king, Jesus is the king, that he gets to tell us how to conduct ourselves as members of his body. Amen? That if we are members of his kingdom, if we part of His body of which He is the head. He gets to tell us what to do. Uh, and um, King Jesus gets to tell us in the church how to, how to be the church and how to live our lives as members of it and how to conduct ourselves in the world. And so, since He's the King, we honor and submit to Him and we uh, honor and submit to both Him and His Word to us. And so with that in mind, I want to turn with you to what King Jesus has to say at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, here in verses 12 through 28. So if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as, we, as I read the text. You can follow along here in your Bible. This is what the Word of God says. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. God, our Father, uh, you have great instruction here for how the church should be until Jesus comes. 
Father, help us to follow it and to, uh, with great joy, put it into practice with one another until the day that Jesus comes for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you know, if you've been here before, you know how I normally preach. And how I normally preach is I walk through the text a little bit at a time, maybe a verse or two at a time, a chunk at a time, and I explain what it means and then give application uh, at the end, right? Well, here's the, here's the great part about this text. You don't have to wait for the application to the end. It's all the way through here, <laughs> all right? It's all through this whole text. And if you look at the text as a whole, what you'll see is there are three sections of instructions and then an encouraging conclusion that wraps it all up. And the first instruction section is directed at church members and how they treat the leaders in their midst. Right. So this is for all of us. Okay. Uh, even though we tend to uh, divide sometimes between uh, we you know we talk about uh, clergy and laity or elders and congregation. This actually, anything that's addressed to the whole congregation is addressed to all of us because even if you're a person in leadership, you still are a member of the congregation and you have responsibilities that are the same as everybody else, right? Uh, and the first command that's here is to respect those who are in the Lord, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Uh, they are there to, to minister to you. They are there to guide you. Uh, notice it doesn't say, you know, beat on, abuse, mistreat. Uh, any of those kinds of adjectives not there. It says admonish, right? It's the idea of an arm around the shoulder and saying, hey man, uh, the way you're going is unlikely to lead you closer to Jesus. How can I help you? You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it's not a boot in the hiney. Uh, it's gentle correction. Um, it is to gently correct people who are ensnared by sin. People who have wandered. And so the command is to respect their role and to listen as they admonish you. Right? And second, it says, esteem them highly in love, in love because of their work. Right? Um, I've been a pastor now, I think, I think this is 22 years. Yeah. Two, uh, 22 years, history major math. Uh, so 2001 to now is 22 years still, right? Um, but. Uh, 22 years, I've had the responsibility and the privilege of being a church leader. And uh, one of the things that makes that a joy is the people that you are with. And when you are treated not with disrespect, but with honor and with love, that makes it real easy, right? One of the things that makes my job here really pretty easy is that very thing. So let me just encourage you with that. <laughs> that um, I am not one of those pastors who's like, oh boy, 
church would be great if it weren't for the people I have to do, be there with, right? <laughs> um, I am not that guy. I don't know what that's like, okay? But this is something that we not only do well at Silicon Bible Church, but it's something we need to continue to do well. And so here's a reminder. Esteem your leaders very highly in love. The elders that I serve with are not perfect men. They're not a perfect man among them. And I'm certainly not. But they are all good men and godly men. And they are worthy of respect and honor and love. Alright? So give them your love and admiration. Don't pull away from them. Don't look down on them. Don't treat them poorly. God has given those guys to you for your good. And finally, the command here is here at the end of verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. You know why that's there? I can tell you why it's there. Because nothing, if you're a leader, nothing gets in your guts more than when you've got church members that are fighting and can't come to peace with each other. I would sooner stick my hand in the middle of a dogfight sometimes, right? Then, then get in the middle of one of those, and yet sometimes that's necessary, but it's painful, and it's hard. And so the encouragement is, make peace. Be at peace among yourselves. Don't make the job of being a leader harder than it has to be. Okay? Follow your leaders with humility and grace so that your relationship is peaceful and good, so it makes it easy to admire and love them. Because, In fact, it, it works the other way too. If you admire and love and follow those guys as they follow Jesus, you will live at peace. Uh, not only with them, but with each other. Okay, so moving on. The next section is, inst is uh, instruction uh, to leaders about what it means to lead well. Uh, and we urge you, brothers, and he's talking about here church leaders, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In other words, if you're a church leader, you've got to have more than one voice. Okay? Sometimes people need admonishment. You need gentle correction. You need to be able to do that. Uh, sometimes people are uh, just, they're just wore out and beat down and tired, and depressed, and you need to be the one uh, not correcting, but the one encouraging, and building up, and praying with, and for, and listening well as they share their heart with you. Encourage the faint-hearted. And it says, help the weak. Uh, and I think that can apply whether you're talking physically weak or whether that can be spiritually weak. If they're spiritually weak, uh, then you need to come alongside and disciple them, to pull them close to you and say, you know, help me, uh, let me help you learn to follow Jesus. Let me give you the basic tools that you'll need to, uh, to grow strong and to, uh, to walk with Christ in a way that is more uh, joyful and more fulfilling. Or if we're talking about people who are in need, which is another possibility, if you're a leader, your job is to help them. 
in whatever way they need help. That might mean you you have them you know over to your house uh, and you feed them once a week because bills are tight. It might mean that you um, bring tools <laughs> over to work on their car alongside them. Um, don't ask me to do that uh, uh, that particular thing. Uh, your car will be worse uh, <laughs> if I do, right? <laughs> but uh, but I'm willing to help you in a lot of other ways. Right? But tangible help is also included in part of that, right? Um, the, and then it says, be patient with them all. Uh, you know what? Spiritual growth is not a quick process, is it? It's not immediate. Uh, people come to new life in Christ in an instant, but following Christ takes a lifetime. And so it. There's no place for a leader who's just like, would you grow up already? <laughs> okay, you got to be patient with people and bring them along. Okay, uh, God is giving that uh, is giving you time to grow up, also them time to grow up too. All right, uh, and then verse 15 also see that no one repays evil for evil. It's about if you're a leader, part of your job is to keep watch over how people treat one another. And and to ensure that when somebody gets hurt, that the person doesn't then go, well, you know what? They got it coming, <laughs> right? Well, that's not how we work in the church, right? We don't repay evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. And we might rebuke or correct or admonish the person who has done evil here but we're not going to encourage somebody else to be like, yeah, hit them back twice as hard. Uh, that's not how it works, right? Uh, that is that is not the way that we that is not the way that we play, right? We are people who come to peace with each other, always seek to do good to one another, and to you see this to everyone. Who's everyone? Well, the one another is everyone inside the walls. So everyone is everybody else, right? Everybody outside the walls also. That part of what marks you out as a Christian is how you treat other people. It's, it, 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 it's not that by your deeds that you are saved. It's that by your deeds, you have a testimony outside the walls that your faith is real, Right? You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and Him alone, but but your actions toward other people ought to um, ought to testify to that being the reality of your life, right? Um, being a Christian ought to be an attractive thing to people. They might no one should be going well based on how they treat people. I don't want to be one of those, <laughs> right? That should never be the way that people speak about people in the church. Okay? Uh, all right. Uh, and then let's see here. The last section here is about living faithfully until Jesus comes. And here's just some really just straight up punchy commands here at the end. Rejoice always. Uh, I think that it, that might... I think, in your, I think in Greek that is the shortest verse in the Bible. Uh, it, it actually beats out Jesus wept uh, because it's only one word. 
um, <laughs> in the Greek text that's there. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, let me just say, um, how do you do that? That's really tough, right? Rejoice always. What is it? Always? You know, I'm, I'm about, I think I'm about 30 years now uh, as a Crohn's disease patient. Rejoice always? Rejoice in those gross procedures I have to have done? Always? Really? Are you sure? Rejoice when um, my loved one dies. Rejoice when I'm at the hospital. Seeing someone or I'm there myself. Rejoice always. How do I rejoice always? Let me tell you. It's a matter of what you choose to focus on. We sing a song here sometimes called 10,000 Reasons. I love that song. And it's a reminder that when we focus on God and His goodness to us, we have ample reasons to rejoice all the time. Because here's the reality. You are loved with an everlasting love which will never let you go. You are forgiven of every one of your sins. You are right now being healed at the deepest parts of your soul. You always have reasons to rejoice if you choose to see them. Even in the deepest pain of your life. I don't know everything about that, but I know some things about that. And I know that that's hard. And the command is there for all of us. Because as you... You know, somebody said one time, friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. Right? <laughs> um, the, the longer that you live, the more reasons you'll have if you choose to spend your life this way, focusing on everything that's going wrong. Because you'll have friends die, you'll have family members die, you're in the process of dying yourself, and you will have ample reasons to complain if you're looking for them. The longer you live, the more your reasons to complain can grow. But if you focus on who God is in relationship to you and what He has done for you in Christ and what He is doing in you right now, you never run out of reasons to give praise. Uh, it says here, pray without ceasing. In other words, pray all the time about everything, not just when you're desperate. Right? A lot of us pray uh, kind of like you used to see those signs at school, you know, above the, uh, above the fire extinguisher. It said, in case of emergency, break glass. Like you're glad that thing is there, but you hope you never have to use it. Right? <laughs> and a lot of us kind of pray the same way. Well, uh, Lord, I'll reach out when I need you. Right? And the problem with that is that it reflects a low understanding of how often we need Him, which is all the time, right? We should have already, you know, we should have already broke the glass, right? 
And then on top of that, when we pray, we pray about everything that's going on in our lives, not just the pretty things, right? Like, if you want to really enhance your prayer life, let me explain this to you, okay? Somebody shared this with me probably 25 years ago, and it completely changed the way that I prayed. Because I would talk to, was talking to this, to this guy, an uh, older pastor, and he said, he said uh, I said, man, I, I, I just have trouble praying for very long at all. And he's like, well, why is that? Because so, when I pray, I get distracted. And he's like, okay, tell me, like, how does that work? And I said, well, like, I'll be praying about something, and I'll, and I'll be, you know, trying to pray for some missionary friend or uh, for my church or for people in it or, you know, this kind of thing. And then while I'm doing that, I'll get this other thought in my mind about, you know, oh, I, you know, I really ought to check on so and so school and see what's going on with that. You know, thinking about something with my kid be thinking about something with Karen, etc. And he's like, so let me ask you something. When those things come into your head, do you pray about those? And I'm like, no, because I got it. And he's like, hmm. And then I felt stupid, right? But he said, he said, you know, when you're praying and you think of other things that are coming into your head, maybe pray about those. Maybe those things are actually what's on your heart. And the reason you have trouble praying is that not that you're distracted, it's that you're not praying about the things that actually matter to you. So pray about all that other stuff too, but start off praying about the stuff that you're most concerned about, and then work through the rest of your list, and you'll find it much easier. And I went, well, apart from feeling really stupid right now, <laughs> I'm going to do that, right? And it completely changed the way that I was able to pray. And so as you're going through the day, I'll give you an example. You're driving down 29 and there's a person in the left lane driving 42 miles an hour. Okay. You can have one of a couple of reactions to that. Okay. You can begin hand gestures. Uh, if you want, or and have to repent of that later, or you can begin to pray for that person and say, Lord, you know, I am running behind, and this person is in my way, and they're going 15 miles an hour slower than they should be at minimum, and I am frustrated. Would you work in my heart to make me more patient? And would you bless this person instead of me cursing them? Right? You feel me on this? Pray about everything. Um, pray all the time about everything. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. Uh, is that hard? Yes. Is that our calling? Yes. Because in all circumstances, God is at work. And so in all circumstances, we have something for which to be thankful. That God is using this in my circumstances. He's using my circumstances in my life to change me and make me more like Jesus. God is always working for our good and His glory no matter what. And it doesn't say be thankful for all kinds of circumstances. That's important. It doesn't say that you have to, when someone close to you gets diagnosed with something horrible, uh, Jesus, thank you for that. It says to be thankful in 
all kinds of circumstances. And that's a big difference between the two. I don't have to praise God for everything, but in everything. As I'm in it, I continue to give thanks to God. Uh, it says, don't quench the Spirit. In other words, uh, not only don't, um, don't give in to temptation and pursue sin, which puts out the Spirit's fire in your life. You know, you live your life empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you sin, you diminish the Spirit's ability to work in you. you he doesn't uh, have the same... It's like unplugging the cord on your vacuum, right? Uh, you can still run the vacuum around on a carpet if you like, but it won't remove much dirt, right? Uh, if you want to live... Uh, a Christian life, you have to live in obedience to God, and as you do, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and He enables you to live the life that Jesus uh, died to give you and that the Father has provided for you to live. Right? So don't quench the Spirit. It says here, don't despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. The Spirit speaks through the Word, and He gave His Word to the prophets and the apostles. As this book was written, there were people who claimed prophetic gifts from the Spirit, just as there are today. People who claim to be prophets. Right? And what, what Paul and the apostles are saying here is, look, not every claim to speak from God is true. Not every claim to speak from God is true. I hope you do not watch TBN. If you do, be aware that not every claim is true. Amen. Okay? There are lots of there there were false prophets in the Old Testament. There are still false prophets today. And so it says here, look, it's not that God doesn't ever give prophecy, but test everything and hold fast to what is true, what is good. Because there's a whole bunch of junk out there that doesn't line up with this. And on top of that, how do you know how, whether or not a prophet is faithful? It's real simple. They have a very exacting standard. Everything they predict has to come true 100% of the time. If they're wrong in any detail about anything, According to the Old Testament law, which we don't, we're not under that, but if we were, under the Old Testament law, anybody who was proven to be a false prophet was put to death. Okay, so it, it extinguished a lot of false prophecy that way, right? Uh, but, but in the same way, you should not listen to anyone who is not 100% faithful to what God says, Right? And what they predict, if they're saying, hey, I'm a prophet, listen to me. I have the Word from the Lord. Say, well, what did you predict that came true? And I need to know everything that you predicted and then line it up against with what came true. And if it didn't come true, guess what? You're not. You're not a true prophet of God. God has a 100% accuracy rating on everything He predicts. It all comes true. Because God is sovereign and causes events to come true according to His Word. So if some, some prophet out there says, well, this is going to happen. By the way, there were a bunch of these guys that popped up before the last election. 
and said, Donald Trump's going to be reelected. Guess how much attention you should pay to that clown? Zero. That's how much. Right? You don't speak a word, claim to speak a word from God that He has not given you, and if you are wrong, you should shut your mouth forever. <laughs> okay? Don't claim to be a, a prophet unless you have an authentic prophetic gift verified by the fact that everything you say comes true. Okay, and don't listen to anybody else. Uh, all right, abstain from every form of evil. Don't give in to sin in any form, big or small. Don't make excuses. We all have kind of our favorites that we, you know, our favorite pet sins that we think are not that big a deal, or at least that we enjoy and therefore kind of exclude from having to submit to God's Word on. Don't do that. Abstain from every form of evil. And then... Lastly here, until the Father finishes your sanctification. It's easy to get overwhelmed in a section of Scripture like this. It's just command after command after command after command. And we can go, that's a lot. I don't know if I can live up to all of that. None of these commands are easy to live out. But here's why I love the encouragement that concludes this book. Verse 23 is a prayer that God will sanctify us. Verse 24 is a promise that God will answer that prayer. How are we sanctified? Well, by the Spirit, we are empowered to obey God. Right? But who sanctifies us? God does. Who makes sure the process comes to completion? God does. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. After that, God starts working on us to make us like Jesus. And one day that process is going to be finished. He is going to bring it to completion. How do we know? Because God is faithful. And by the way, is that really encouraging to, to you? It should be. Because how faithful am I? Well, not very. But the encouragement here is that God is faithful. And because He is faithful, what He promises to do, what He began in you, is going to be carried out all the way until the day it's finished. All the way until the day it's finished. All of us have sins that we like seemingly get rid of. Maybe it's a temper. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's um, a vocabulary that is less than honoring to God. Maybe it's some other thing that we struggle with. And we're like, ah. every time we find ourselves ensnared by it, it just is galling to our soul. And we think, when am I going to finally be shed of this? Well, maybe in this life hopefully in this life, as God keeps working on you. But if not, but if not, He is faithful. He will surely do it. The Lord is continuing to work until the day His work is done in you and in me. He will present you one day 
completely blameless before Him. Your sin nature will one day be eradicated. Now, it won't be eradicated, I'll just promise you, in this life. Your sin nature will not. You will, you will not become sinless. However, you will sin less. <laughs> okay? And probably feel worse than you did at the beginning. <laughs> right? But, but the encouragement here is that God will finish that work. You will not always struggle. It will not always be like this. The Lord will finish that work in you. And then there's just a few little other encouragements here at the end. Brothers, pray for us. We should always pray for one another. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Um, let me tell you what that's about just quickly. Uh, if you are in a Middle Eastern culture uh, today, uh, even married couples are not publicly affectionate. Okay? That may strike you as weird. Like you don't hold hands with your wife walking down the street in, in Israel. If you do, some yenta will come up behind you and whack you, <laughs> okay? Because you're being, uh, you're being gross, right? Uh, you don't exhibit that kind of public affection. But members of the same family, people who are not married, members of the same family can do that easily. And so you'll see two, uh, two brothers walking down the street holding hands, which is, again, strange to us. And when men and women greet one another that's part of the same family, they kiss each other. Right? So this bit about greet one another with a holy kiss, guess what that is? It's a reminder that we are part of the same family. That this in here and the church uh, as a whole, worldwide, is family. It's family. And we ought to treat one another with this kind of affection that we have within a family in its best sense. Right? So while I don't expect any of you men to come up and give me a kiss, in fact, I hope you don't. <laughs> okay, um, but uh, but the idea is is that we exercise a level of affection toward each other because we're family. You feel me? And then uh, and then uh, read this letter to all the brothers. And then the last thing, and this is really important. This is a blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It closes with that prayer of blessing. And there could be nothing better than that, right? That the grace of the Lord Jesus always is with us. That from the moment you put your trust in Christ, what you're experiencing in that moment is God's grace. As you're following Jesus, you're experiencing His grace as the Holy Spirit fills your life. As you become part of a church family, you're experiencing God's grace in a tangible way. And as you live your life all the way to glory, you're experiencing God's grace. 
And Paul is here just pronouncing that blessing as a way of reminding us that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with us. Amen? That whether we are suffering, whether we're persecuted, whether we are walking in tall cottons, whatever our circumstances, okay? If it's summertime and the living is easy and the catfish are jumping, your daddy's rich and mama's good looking, okay? That can be a set of circumstances that you're enjoying for a while, right? And then there can be the other kind where you feel like everything in your life has been burned to the ground. And the grace of the Lord Jesus is with you in all circumstances. And He is working in you until the day that Jesus comes. And so until Christ comes, let's honor Him with the way we live life, the way we do church, and live in expectation eagerly for the King to come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just rejoice that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. That it rests on us. That we are blessed by it. That we are saved by it. That we experience it as Your Holy Spirit works His transforming power in us. That one day, that You, Father, will finish your sanctifying work in us, and we will stand before You complete and blameless. Father, help us to, to live in a way that reflects what has happened to us. That as recipients of Your grace, we have been changed and transformed. And that that changes how we relate to one another and to other people outside. Father, help us to live as Your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.